Have you ever felt like your prayers are just bouncing back off the ceiling? Uh, Or maybe uh, they've started sticking in your throat? Have you ever felt like all the supposed blessings of God, well, they fall on other people uh, and you've been forgotten or else you're holding up some sort of umbrella and it's all just falling around you? Have you ever felt like the victories that God's people have known, they might just be tales in an ancient book uh, and all these victories are kind of just there laughing at your misery? Maybe your faith is still awake but God's gone to sleep. Maybe you're still showing up, but God's on holiday. You're still taking strides towards God and cultivating your faith, or you're trying, but he's keeping pace as he backs away. Uh, Maybe you've tried praying, uh, but God stopped answering long ago. That's the story of Psalm 44. And that's where it ends. It invites us into a world of severe and endless suffering, uh, a world that many people are perfectly familiar with. Uh, It's a psalm of two halves, uh, verses 1 to 8, the first half, and then uh, 9 onwards. It's divided in those halves uh, between what's happened in the past and what's happening in the present. Verses 1 to 8 talks about the past uh, and its positive stuff. The past was apparently very good. And then there's the word sailor at the end of verse 8. You'll see it uh, written in italics at the end of verse 8. It sort of indicates some kind of contemplative pause, a deep breath. And then verse 9 starts with the word but. But, verse 9 to 26, this is the problematic present Uh, the reality of the people uh, who wrote and first sang the psalm. People who feel rejected, disgraced, scorned, broken and slaughtered like sheep. It does actually almost the reverse of most of the other psalms of lament uh, that we've been looking at. Most of them make their complaint at the start, but then end with joy and hope at the end. But this one starts off remembering the good times, the good old days, And then it gets stuck in a spiral of suffering and disappointment and sucked into a wormhole with no obvious end. In the last few verses, it slings some accusations against God and then it ends. Silence. Nothing. It's dark, but I think you'll love it. I'm going to read it now. Psalm 44. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah, O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually 
and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbours, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. And we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. It's God's word. Thanks, Caleb. Let me highlight uh, one take-home uh, that we have uh, right off the bat. One take-home, I think, from Psalm 44, it strikes me as this. God listens. Let me explain. Because it seems to be a psalm where God is silent. But I think a, a, a take-home from this is that God does listen. Because preserved by God through the ages, there is a book. And in the middle of that book, there is a song. And, there, and it is a song for the forgotten people. It's a song for the hurting ones. It's a song for the people who want to complain, but aren't quite sure if they're allowed. You're allowed. Even though in the song itself, God hasn't listened and apparently still isn't listening... By virtue of the fact that the song is here, it's preserved for us to read, the experience of the suffering ones has been noted. It's been given us by God uh, that when life really sucks, it's okay to be not okay. And I reckon there is some comfort in that. You are heard by a God who can identify with pain without end. I already mentioned that the psalm is easily divided into two sections. There's this positive past from verses 1 to 8 and then from verse 9 onwards there's a, a problematic present. I Also last week I said that there's a correct order for interpreting the Psalms and we're going to use those principles today. When you, when you try to understand a Psalm, you try to look first into the mind of the author uh, and the first people who, who were given this Psalm to sing. Uh, we've got to try to understand the context. 
Uh, then we go through Jesus. And then finally, we understand it as something that's relevant to ourselves. So author, we're trying to understand the context of the writers. Uh, when we try to understand it through Jesus, that second important step, we're imagining what it would have meant for Jesus to sing this psalm in his own day and experience. And we're also looking for prophetic clues that it gives us about Jesus. Because remember, this was written uh, somewhere between probably 500 and 1,000 words before the time of Jesus. Uh, 500 and 1,000 years before the time of Jesus. Uh, so verses 1 to 8 first. This is the past. We're going to break it down. Verse 1 says, O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us the, de- the deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. Every year at Passover, the Israelites would retell the story of how God saved them uh, from slavery in Egypt. Uh, This was done in the home by the father. Uh, It reminds us, this verse 1, where it says, We have heard with our ears our fathers have told us. It reminds us that it is the business of parents to pass on to their children the great stories of faith. Uh, When your kids are little, read them Bible stories at bedtime. Speak of your faith. Remind them of their good heavenly father. But this verse also introduces us to an important tool in our belts for times of trouble. uh, The tool of memory, uh, of recalling the days of old, the good stuff, uh, even if it's not present now. So know your Bible. Be versed in the goodness of God and remember it. And remember specifically this. If you're trying to think, oh, what part of the Bible should I be looking back to to, you know, rouse my spirit and and recall the good news, try this. Jesus Christ died for you. His love and care is beyond question. It's proven beyond doubt. Jesus died for you. The second verse says uh, that you, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. He's sort of saying that some people were afflicted, but some were freed. The, the, the nations and the peoples, the ones in that verse that were harmed uh, or punished by God, well, that, that refers to the enemies of Israel. But when it, when it says, them you planted and them you set free, well, the thems who were planted and set free, they are the people's fathers. Uh, the Israelites of old, uh, the Israelites from earlier generations who experienced God's saving hand firsthand. Uh, Also, notice the contrast between the blessings that the Israelites enjoyed. This is in verse 2 still. The contrast of the blessings, God says they they were planted and they were free. To be both planted and free is almost a contradiction, isn't it? A, A planted tree isn't free to go wherever it wants. Uh, its, its strong roots are holding it in place. But the stability of being planted and the flexibility of freedom are things that actually complement each other. Because security from being planted, security without freedom, that's imprisonment. Freedom without security is chaos. And madness. We need both. And life with God promises both. Security and freedom. And then in verse 3, it says, For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm 
and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. What gave strength to God's people, or rather who? God gave strength to God's people. And in God we see both strength and love. It says it's his mighty arm outstretched, you imagine, with a sword that fights the battles for his people. It's his mighty arm and strong hand. And it says in that verse 3, it's the light of his face. Uh, It's his kindness and love turned towards his people. And then the next five verses, pledge service to God and give him all the glory. Verse 4 says, you are my king. Verse 6 says, not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes. In verse 8, in God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. And then that pause. Verse 9, but our faith is still here. It didn't go anywhere. But what happened to God? He's asleep at the wheel. It's nothing like the old days. And it's not just being sentimental, the good old days. It really is nothing like the old days. So we move into that second half of the psalm from verse 9 onwards. And I'm not going to do this a verse at a time. I'm going to pick out a couple of verses, but also just some themes. In the 18 verses from verse 9 to 26, the psalm uses 18 different words to describe the way things now are. Rejected, disgraced, turned back slaughtered, scattered, sold, taunted, derided, scorned, a byword, a laughingstock, shame, reviled, broken, killed, forgotten, afflicted, oppressed. 18 different words and of those, rejected, disgraced, slaughtered and taunted are repeated. So 20 different to- uh, 22 different times, uh, there's, there's this just laying it on thick, this, uh, this description of what life is like. It's as if God has been using all of his unlimited imagination to hurt his people. No one word does it justice. We'll pick out 18 different ones to describe it. It's in this section that we understand the psalm from the author's perspective. Remember I said we need to understand this uh, beginning with its original context. The one word that doesn't get mentioned, but that hangs over the whole mess, is the word cursed. That's the word that describes what the people are feeling. Cursed. We don't know exactly when the sons of Korah, uh, who, uh, who apparently wrote the song, uh, first performed it. Uh, we can't name a date or even you know, a, a king who they may have uh, operated under exactly. But we know two broad details about the time just from reading the psalm. One... Israel has suffered a military defeat. That's pretty obvious. Uh, And number two, they complain about their faithfulness to God between verses 17 and 22. So it's apparently one of the better times for the people, religiously speaking. They're suffering and they can't figure out a cause for it. And those two things don't quite compute because their lived experience is that of being cursed by God. But God, if you read the rest of your Old Testament, has promised blessing if they remain faithful. And in their lifetime, at least, they seem to say, hand on heart, we have been faithful. We didn't abandon God. So why the curse? 
Every single one of those 18 different words are deliberately associated with God's curse throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Old Testament. They are linked to God's punishment for faithfulness, and yet here's faithful people experiencing all the effects of God's curse. Perhaps the verse that brings the word curse closest to being spoken, though like I said, you won't find the word cursed uh, in, ver- in Psalm 44, but the word that brings it closest is verse 25. Have a look at verse 25. Our soul is bowed down to the dust and our belly clings to the ground. Our soul is bowed down to the dust and our belly clings to the ground. No. I wonder if that reminds you of anything. Genesis chapter 3, chapter 3 of your whole Bible. The serpent enters God's good garden. He deceives Eve, the woman, into taking a fruit uh, that was forbidden. Eve takes it, eats it, and passes it on to her husband, Adam. Uh, It goes down the line. And then when God discovers the sin and he's handing out punishment, he turns first to the serpent who started it all. I'm going to show this up here. Remember uh, verse 25 of Psalm 44, our soul is bowed down to dust, our belly clings to the ground. And this is what the Lord says to the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat. Tell me that the first people who sung this psalm didn't recognise that what they're feeling is the very experience of having been cursed by God and they've done nothing, as far as they can tell, to deserve it. There's three other details I want to point out that the song uses uh, to add colour. You know, it's a poem, it's a song, so there's colour and there's imagery uh, to add colour to their experience of the curse. Uh, Verses 11 and 22 both describe uh, the people as being sheep for slaughter. In the Old Testament, uh, one of God's preferred images for the relationship between him and his people is that of a good shepherd and his sheep. Uh, Jesus picks up the same thread in the New Testament. He says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, The idea is that the people are uh, on their own defenceless and weak sheep, but they are guided, provided for and protected by a loving shepherd. Sheep had another use in the Old Testament, animal sacrifice. The lamb was supposed to act as a substitute for the sins of the people. Its innocent blood was shed while the sinner stood forgiven. So what's going on here for the people is they describe themselves as sheep for the slaughter. It's a far cry from the green pastures and the still waters that their good shepherd is meant to be leading them to. They're being corralled into a pen for bloody slaughter. They are innocent lambs condemned for sins that they haven't committed. Verse 12, sold for a trifle. We've been sold for a trifle, or you have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. When you're doing a clean out of the shed or the spare room and there's stuff you don't care about and don't want, but you don't quite feel like the trip to the op shop, What do you do? I know what you do. You put it on Facebook, buy, swap and sell for 10 bucks, whatever. 10 bucks, it's a token. It's a trifle. 
It's not that you want or need the money, you just put it there and hope someone will take away your junk for you and if you get 10 bucks in your pocket, bonus. The people feel like that's how they've been treated. Totally unvalued by God. Used up, left on the curb. If he gets 10 bucks, great. If not, no matter. It's a trifle. No high price. Worth nothing. And then in verse 23 says, why are you sleeping? Well, I actually think by the time you get to the end of the psalm, sleeping is, is a pretty generous interpretation for what's going on. Um, they're saying, well, God can't be punishing us, surely. And we know he's not cruel. He must be asleep. He must have forgotten us and just abandoned us. And that's the end. I suppose I should offer some good news. Uh, In a way, I don't want to. Uh, In a way, I want to let the psalm be beautiful just all on its own, uh, to end on its own terms with God asleep, just dwelling in a very real and valid experience of pain. I I don't want the good news to erase the truth that the psalm speaks uh, because sometimes we we whitewash. uh, You know, we feel too uncomfortable with the yucky stuff and so we go, oh, yeah, but, you know, it'll be okay and... Uh, and sometimes we can handle those things really tritely, uh, like pain doesn't matter. This psalm has a beauty all on its own. Uh, but the problem we have is that although the psalm speaks truth, it's not the whole truth. Uh, and we do still have a duty to consider it in its own context. Uh, it's a psalm of sorrow, but it's in a book of 150 psalms. Almost all of them spruiking the good news of the glory and salvation of God. And it belongs not just within a songbook of 150 songs, but within a whole story of unfolding and developing glory. And it does the really important thing that we haven't done yet. It points us to Jesus. That's why I've left these... uh, Oh, I was going to leave those three phrases up on the screen. Uh, um, Oh no, these three phrases actually. No, that's right, those ones. Sheep for slaughter, sold for a trifle, and why are you sleeping? That's why I've left them up on the screen. Because each of these find an answer in Jesus. I'm going to go through them in reverse. First of all, why are you sleeping? Well, some you know, hundreds of years after the writing of this psalm, in the world that Jesus entered, the Israelites were experiencing exactly the experience of this psalm. They were oppressed by the Romans... Verses 15 and 16 of the psalm says, All day long my disgrace is before me at the sight of my enemy. Well, as Jesus and his people walked through their Palestinian streets, they saw daily reminders before their eyes of the oppression, Roman money, Roman soldiers, and the creep of Roman culture and excesses. God had been quiet for 400 years, no prophets except the recent wild man John who was drawing crowds in the wilderness. And one day, Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and a fierce storm blows up. The boat threatens to break up and even the skilled fishermen have lost faith in their own arms. And where's Jesus? Do you know? He's asleep with his head on a cushion. It's a nice detail, isn't it? His disciples wake him up And he speaks to the wind and waves and he says, be quiet, be still, and all is calm. 
and God is asleep no more. When Jesus came, God showed up, and in Jesus we see all prayers heard and answered. Moving up, sold for a trifle. Time goes on in the life of Jesus. Followers come and go. One of Jesus' nearest and dearest begins to lose faith. His name is Judas. What does Judas do? He betrays Jesus for a price. Lines his own pockets with 30 pieces of silver. Now that's not a small sum. It's enough to buy a field, we're told. But for the Son of God, it's a trifle. When Jesus came, God felt the same hurt felt by his people, being undervalued and sold for nothing. Sheep for slaughter. Well, the people felt like they were innocent. They were dying for their faithfulness when they'd done nothing wrong. We're going to sing a song at the end based on these words uh, predicting what Jesus would do in Isaiah 53. This is what it says of foretells about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. Remember that word from Psalm 44? He was afflicted. Do you remember that word from Psalm 44? Yet he opened not his mouth, and like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. When Jesus came, God offered himself in place of the sins of the people. Uh, their experience of being lambs was more than matched by the perfect innocence of Jesus and the gross cruelty of his death. Let's talk about us, finally. Now, this psalm puts a tool in our belt for the reality of suffering. Notice that it's written in the plural. Uh, it's not written as an individual psalm. This is a psalm of lament for the people. It's a broad church. Notice that it's written in the plural. It's our suffering. Now, I don't want to downgrade your own personal experience of suffering. We've all suffered, and it's agony. And in the moment, it feels endless, and it's hard to imagine that there's a light. But there is a depth and reality in this psalm that most of us really just will never know. This picture is from what's called the World Watch List. Uh, it labels the 100, the 100 countries with the worst anti-Christian persecution. There's more than 100 of them. Those spots represent a huge area, don't they? A huge portion geographically of the world. And think billions of people. And millions of Christians. Millions of them. Imagine for a moment a Christian in North Korea. Uh, last year... Uh, north, uh, first place was taken by Afghanistan. But for the past 20 years, it's been North Korea. Not just featuring on the list, at number one on the list. This is a place where for Christians, the this world blessings of knowing God are just a rumour. Something they might hear about, 
you know, from illicit websites, you know, or, uh, or from their Bible, if, they've, if they're brave enough to possess one. The good life in God is, is just a rumour. Whole generations of Christians have never known it. Christians risk imprisonment, torture and death. From the website, it says this, North Korean parents often hide their faith from their children. Churches of more than a few people don't exist. And most worship is done as secretly as possible. An estimated 50 to 70,000 Christians are imprisoned in North Korea. And when a Christian is sentenced, often their entire families are sent to labour camps too. That would probably explain why uh, they don't want their kids to know. This psalm is in plural because this psalm allows us to stand shoulder to shoulder with our persecuted brothers and sisters who know a suffering that you and I never will. The many. These are people who enter the faith having only ever known it to be associated with suffering even though they hear the stories of God's victories. Uh, As some of you know, here's another take-home message from the psalm. As some of you know, uh, our family has faced a recent run of sorrow. Uh, Let me replay for you a conversation that's happened almost daily over the past month. It's okay to feel sad. What are some of the things we can do when we feel sad? We can cry. You're allowed to do that. We can cuddle. We can talk about it. We can try to think about happy things that we could be thankful about. We can pray. That's a lot of different tools in the belt, isn't it? When you're feeling down. It strikes me that this psalm, minus the cuddle, ticks almost every one of those boxes. You're allowed to cry. You can talk about it. You can pray. Remember the good stuff. This psalm puts words to our griefs and it gives us a a right way to complain. Complain in prayer. Not forgetting God's faithfulness, but authentically stating every hurt from the heart to a God who can take it. He can take it. Let me close by showing you how this psalm uh, is quoted in the New Testament. Uh, In Romans chapter 8. Placed in context of the whole Bible and the whole story, Psalm 44 puts words to sorrow, but it also directs our hearts to the love of God. It ends with that, actually, Psalm 44. It's not particularly hopeful, but but at the end it says, Rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. When the New Testament, this psalm directs us to God's love. Romans chapter 8, from verse 35, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, Psalm 44, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Well, Paul, who wrote to the Romans, goes on, he says, No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, 
nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the standalone magnificence of Psalm 44. Uh, we thank you even for the fact that it doesn't end particularly well. Because isn't that the truth some of the time? And for many people across the earth. Father, we uh, pray for the many people uh, who are born uh, into persecution or who accept the faith under the yoke of persecution. Uh, we read this psalm uh, in solidarity with them. We pray that in these words they will find uh, a voice. We pray that uh, in its context of the whole of Scripture they will find hope uh, and they uh, will be reminded of the Lord Jesus who woke up and who came to their aid. Father, we thank you for these words that put, uh, that put words to our own sorrows and difficulties. And we pray that you will help us to uh, learn the skill of complaining well, of complaining in context, in the context of who you are and all you've done and all you promise still to do. But God, we thank you for uh, the freedom that you give us uh, to speak our mind to you because you can take it. Father, we thank you uh, for our Lord Jesus uh, who didn't dodge uh, any detail of the suffering of your people through the ages uh, but who took it on, he ran for it. Thank you that uh, his perfect innocence was offered in exchange for us, that he is the lamb, the perfect lamb who was slaughtered taking the price for our sins so that we might be free. And we pray that you will help us even in sorrow uh, to be reminded uh, of your love uh, and your love particularly in Jesus and particularly that we can never be separated from it. Amen.